0: Welcome. Well, we often have days where things don't go exactly the way we planned them to go. You know, some people say that that's exactly the days where you, defi- you define yourself because you find yourself having to go into the access of your own resources to find out how in the world you're going to fix the problem cope with the issue, and like get all been out of shape. So today we started our program with a complete mishap, and as a consequence on our side of it, we are, we've we asked our wonderful Sarah yeah, Temple Hayes to join us on the second half of this program. So please make sure you tune in. That will start at the half hour mark on this program. For us today, that's 1030, but for you listening on the archive version of this, that will be in the half mark of this program. So Temple Hayes, we're looking forward to you. She is going to speak to us about her book, When Did You Die? Eight Steps to Stop Dying Every Day and Start Waking Up. And I'm going to suggest that after you read her book or understand her perspective, it isn't about you start waking up. It's about every day you waking up to being more and more and more yourself. And every day you are going to have to cope with circumstances that are outside your control and those that are in your control, and you'll find out who you are and how awake you're going to be because those are the moments when you say, okay, I have to take charge of this unpredictable moment. So I think that after you read her book and after you listen to Temple Hayes' story and her ideas, it won't be that you start waking up, that you will continue every day to implement any number of her eight steps to be able to continue to keep yourself energized, and impassioned instead of disconnected and drained. But more on that in a moment. I want to talk a little bit about marriages right now. Marriages are actually a very brand new part of our consciousness. The idea of getting married to someone in order to be happy and to feel love was not part of our human consciousness for very long. Let's say a few hundred years in some places, and in other places maybe a maybe half a millennium. So it's not really in our DNA. We usually get married to procreate or we get married to be able to set up alliances or we get married to be able to deal with the complications of community, family, raising money, so forth and so on, uh, enduring the hardships of sexual release, things of that sort. So it's, it's new to consider that marriage is about emotional pleasure and about uh, relationship and about interconnection and clear and wonderful communication. I want you to think about that. You're in the generation where the idea that we are married as long as we enjoy each other and otherwise we might get divorced is a really common sort of response to the whole set of events that face you as a married person. Now if whether you're married and you are or you are gay, it doesn't matter. I received the saddest postcard I've received in a long time from a professional, because in the state of California, um, gay marriages has not been around for that long, maybe about a year and a half, and my first report, my first card that I got from a professional was how to mediate divorce of gay marriages and I thought oh my goodness so we, we've now moved into allowing individuals to be married that should be uh, married because they're loving and happy and they want to have a family and the connection and all the legal rights associated to that but now they're burdened with what happens when they're no longer happy or one person changes so radically that it's impossible to keep the marriage forward oh now we have a whole industry that is supporting the mediation or the divorce of gay marriages. It is a sad commentary, but it is a commentary that what someone once said, when marriages began, to, began a few years later, so did the divorce attorneys. So did the people who had to divide the families, the children, and the monies. So it's a tricky situation, talking about marriage, in light of how easy it is and exactly how frequent it is that people get a divorce. But on the other hand, let's look at divorce from a totally different perspective. It is not easy at all to go through a divorce, especially with children, especially with the emotions. It is a death. It is a sense of failure. It is a sense of tearing two people up. Most of the time, divorce is very antagonistic, full of hostility and aggression, blame, cruelty. The worst of human nature comes out. Parents become unclear as to how to be good with their children in light of the competition for the children's love and people and their love for money way above their love for relationships begin to be very hoardish lying entanglements associated to keeping money that was earned together or lying about money that is supposedly not there and when it is ugly, ugly situation. In addition to that, moving into a divorce court where the divorce court is as dysfunctional, if not more, than a marriage was that ends in divorce. So now these two people go to a judge in a divorce court situation, maybe a court mediator, and find people there less able to help you with your marriage because they're not clear about your dilemma and all the circumstances surrounding it because they don't know who to believe. And they get to the point where they're very skeptical. They really don't want to believe anybody. They just want the... Issues taken care of. Lawyers are there to take your money and send their children through college and put the pool in their backyard. They're not really there to help you solve the marriage divorce issues. They're there to see how much of the finances they can have. And many many marriage uh, lawyers, I should say divorce lawyers, are are there because it's their job. They are making money off of you. Um, And whether they are Full of integrity and kindness and thoughtfulness in terms of your circumstances or not, you need to watch them carefully because they don't always have your best interest at heart. They don't even know what your best interest is. They don't know whether you're lying to them or not or the ex is lying to the, their lawyer. They don't have a clue. They do know that they like to fight the tasks, they like to kind of be in the competition and the fun of their career with the opposing side. Don't fool yourself that opposing side is probably your drinking buddy afterward. You want to be very clear that you've entered into a dysfunctional situation. I'm not giving you the worst-case scenario either. I'm giving you a common-case scenario. So as a consequence, the whole idea of making your marriage happy is something very worth investing in. But you have to realize making your marriage happy is a new concept. Now let's talk about either same-sex or heterosexual marriages. It does not matter. Because in either case, both of you are different people, both of you have different needs, and both of you have different communication styles. Both of you think differently, and both of you have come from different backgrounds. Both of you have different expectations, and both of you have different ways of getting fulfillment and satisfaction. And in fact, it's those differences almost more than the similarities that usually make people feel completely confused, discombobulated as to what it is that they're supposed to be able to do to be able to help them have a happy marriage. Now, know very clearly that when there's a focus on, I want to have a happy marriage, I want to be happily married, um, then the individuals involved in a happy marriage have that expectation that, am I unhappy because of those elements that I am unable to control? I'm unable to control that other person, and the more I try, the more I actually mess things up. And if I try to control the other person, the other person wants their own identity, then that really causes a problem as well. So you can't control the other person. You want to be happy. Your happiness seems like it's in the hands of the other individual, and here you are, feeling unhappy with that other person holding your happiness in their hands. At least that's the way it goes. So marriage counseling is extremely, extremely, extremely helpful yes. done by the right counselor. By the right therapist who understands the differences and the tools to help you connect and communicate, the tools to be able to help you find mutual satisfaction, the ability to translate one person into the language of the other and vice versa, the ability to be able to appreciate and respect both sides and what both sides want out of the circumstance and to be able to unweave the issues that have piled on to those relationships from the past histories of the way they were raised or the way their parents related to each other or the past issues of trauma or mistrust that have have erupted inside of them. You have got to be with a therapist that's at ease with dealing with so many dynamics going on simultaneously and to be able to weave through to find the key core ones in a given session to be able to help you through that next week. Uh, Next week is when you're trying to develop as much conflict-free space as you possibly can to express respect and also to help the other individual have a better connection with you in the marriage, to have what they need and want in a, a relationship that will make them feel good. And, your hope is that they do that for you as well and that the therapist has enabled them to some degree to move forward progressively whether it's inch by inch or mile by mile. Having that third person in your relationship, helping you negotiate the pitfalls of a relationship is very helpful when they are qualified to do it. When they're not qualified to do it, it's like anything you take your car to a mechanic that doesn't know how to work on your car, then you're going to have more problems afterwards. So you have to interview carefully that third party that's going to be the umpire and the coach and the person that helps you translate what's going on so that you can workably change things. Here's another thing I want you to consider in terms of making your marriage happy. The reason you got together with the other person is that you enjoyed who you were when you were with that person. You enjoyed how that person made you feel, and you enjoyed that other person as well. Simultaneously, that other person was with you because they enjoyed themselves, they enjoyed you, and they enjoyed the connection. Now, note that the key word there is enjoyment. Now, we could talk about enjoyment in terms of laughter, goodwill, good sex, happiness, a feeling of at ease, a feeling of fun, entertainment. There's so many things that fall into that, that, that barrel of enjoyment that may not be true today for your relationship. For example, some couples get together because they love to party, but then when they become working responsible adults with children, they no longer do the partying, but they don't know how to relate to the other person in a way that's full of fun, goodwill, happiness, and attraction along those lines. So what oddly is true about relationships, instead of focusing on the issues when you're not with a therapist, instead of focusing on the things that bother you when you're not together, focus on those things that make that other person feel happy and help them, to skillfully help them be able to focus on those things that make you happy. Now, it may be that you organize events, or activities that are enjoyable to you and also enjoyable to that other person. You have a moment of conversation where there's a mutually fun topic. You make the other person laugh and you laugh with them as well. You listen to them with care and thoughtfulness and respect and you speak about yourself with care and thoughtfulness and respect and you choose those topics and those events and experiences that optimize each of the moments you possibly can be in control of people do this not every issue is going to be resolved and not every circumstance that could benefit from in-depth therapy or change or growth or evolution or maturity will come to fruition however you will create the space between the two of you where you'll have fun together. And that fun together is about a liveliness, a shared mutual pleasure. And that, after all, is what brought the two of you, more likely than not, together. Okay, we're going to take a bit of a break. I'm going to see if I can respond to Temple Hayes, who's going to join us in about 13 minutes. It's going to be very exciting to hear her talk about how she optimizes her self-discovery in her life. And in taking that break, we're going to let you listen to um, a little calm music that's just going to allow you to close your eyes and relax and just chill out. All right, just a minute. Okay, here we go. Put a little bit of that meditation behind us. Oh, my goodness, did it even play? <laughs> okay. probably end up editing that out, we have put a call through to Temple Hayes to let her know that the little mishap that we have this morning has been taken care of. I do also want to talk about marriages in terms of little mishaps. There's also that intolerance for the other person's difficulties because the other person's difficulties often look like, boy, couldn't they have just done something to avoid that? You begin to question that the other person's way of making your life inconvenient isn't somehow an irritation. This other person in your life, instead of the opportunity to help them out, begin like, couldn't you have done such and such? To begin a connection with a person when they're in the middle of a difficult situation with that kind of attitude is a sure way of turning the other person against you. It creates defensiveness, antagonism, and a feeling of being misunderstood. And as well, when that person is in a down spot, why would you kick them even farther? You wouldn't kick a little cat that had just been wounded in an animal fight, or would you? And that, in a sense, is what you're doing when you're taking the mishap of your partner, your child, even your co-worker, and kicking them as if they somehow should have gotten their act together, therefore they wouldn't have those difficulties. So know that when you handle those mishaps with respect and appreciation, it doesn't mean you have to take the labor of all of it on you, But it does mean that you need to respond with respect to see what you can do just emotionally be supportive. And after all, emotional support is actually an easy thing to do. So that would be another thing to do about marriages. I often see husbands picking on wives and wives nagging husbands, the two of them not seeing eye to eye, always finding the fault. Now realize that if you are being nagged or you are being picked on, that there's something you possibly could do about that. It may mean that the other person is not feeling very loved by you and therefore lacks the attention to certain details. So let's say you don't pick up your clothes. It makes the other person having to pick up the clothes if they want a clean environment. They feel as if you've responded to them with a discourteous attitude, as if you don't really care and you don't really think much of whatever it is they like. And come on, isn't it easy to pick up your clothes, to fold your clothes, to clean your dishes, to wipe the counter? To make the bed, these things are a matter of seconds in all relationships. But they make the coexistence of two individuals living together that much nicer and easier. Now, the person that is the nagger, I warn you, nagging never gets you anywhere. We know very much that if a dog does something wrong and you hit them, they can just do something wrong again. You have to make the situation work with a dog in such a way that you reward them positively every time they do something right. And when they do something wrong, you have to figure out how in the world you're going to adjust. And yes, there are times when you have to discipline a child, a dog, maybe even a spouse. But you have to realize that if you're disciplining them in a sense, punishing them with your nagging all the time, they will turn you off, feel insulted, not enjoy your company, disengage, and not be alive or awake within the context of the relationship. Now Temple Hate is going to come on and She's going to discuss about when you did you die and eight steps to stop dying every day and start waking up. She's going to help us understand how to go from feeling disconnected and drained to being energized and impassioned. But now think about your relationship and how your relationship is disconnected and you feel drained in your relationship and you are draining the energies of the other individual. Consider that. Consider how that You are killing that relationship every time you are upsetting it, being disrespectful, nagging them, not helping them in circumstances where they would really like your assistance, being negative, unhappy, pick, 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 and what do you think you're doing? But Step by step, little by little, you are killing the relationship, helping them disconnect, helping them feel drained from you. If you are making that other person work harder in that relationship than you are, you are also draining the resources of that other person. So you want to consider exactly what way are you fueling the other individual so that they feel energized and so that you also feel energized so both of you can be in passion, live in the passion and the wonderfulness of your relationship with each other. Well, Temple Hayes is going to talk about being able to do that in your own life. And I'm suggesting that you want to be able to do that in your own married life. Okay. So now. The idea that once again, we're going to go through a little bit of meditation. I want you to prepare yourself for a wonderful discussion where you're going to see for sure that you're going to invest yourself in the well-being of you who you are. And also, you are going to invest in the well-being of those people whom you are. Um, I am looking right now in, at a Temple, a temple Hayes statement about change your energy and change your life. And right now, I want you to imagine that you're going to change And you're going to change your life. You're going to change the energy that you have in the marriage, and you're going to change your life in the marriage. Yes, you're going to find other things outside that marriage that make you feel so energetic, happy to be you. So that if that partner is or is not happy to be themselves or is or is not happy to be in the relationship, you are happy to be you in a way that are full real, authentic ways of being you. And while you reach out being authentically happy to be you in the relationship, you will find yourself able to not entangle yourself in the relationship issues that the other person brings in, perhaps seeing them more clearly. All right. So now open your eyes, you're about to have a Hi, Temple Hayes. You have joined us. I'm so glad you forbeared bear- with us. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing great. No problem. <laughs> good to be with you. Thank you for having um, me.
0: Well, good. We have, for uh, up to this point, been talking about your wonderful book and how it's going to help people not only attach themselves, but also their relationships and looking at various aspects of the relationship. And you have uh, so many wonderful ideas in your book, but I think that I like very much that you connect those wonderful points to life experiences you have had, which have been multiple and varied. So would you care to take a moment to introduce who you are and why you feel empowered to share these points with our listeners?
1: Mm, Absolutely. So the quick overview of my life is I was born in the late 50s going into the 60s, and so I was born in a small town. I was surrounded by people with big hearts, but small minds, and most of them living in a box, uh, somewhat robotic, because they just live life according to what the doctor said, to what the preacher had told their parents and their grandparents. And I recognized uh, very early on that no one was really comfortable sitting in any kind of question. And I felt that I would be labeled today as um, like a a gifted child, uh, a mystic, and that i I was an old soul, uh, you know, as so many of us are, and so because of that, I, I realized very early on how much I stood out, how different I was, and how I felt rejected often, you know, by people of, you know, because they weren't comfortable with themselves, it really didn't have anything to do with me. I understand it now, but when I was a kid, I didn't, you know, I felt shut down a lot, so what started happening by the time I reached teenage years is I stopped having that relationship with myself and with the divine. I started closing off and rejecting myself. I went into that whole of the soul chapter of life and and uh, and worked really well at being good at addiction. I never was good at it, um, and yet I did it for many years because I was rejecting that ability to listen to what I really knew was me. So I became sober at 29, and um, and that's when a lot of awakening started happening. But thank you for saying that. I, I've read a lot of books. Uh, I'm a radio host like you, and I interview a lot of people. And I find that often, even though people write good books, they're not really willing to share their stuff. You know what I mean? (laughs) And and I thought, well, let me share some of my stuff. Um, Because I I want people to know this didn't come from basic training in the military. It didn't come from, you know, the school system. It it came from um, really walking through uh, some interesting times in my life.
0: You know, so we were talking about mishaps and how mishaps, my mishaps, our radio show's mishaps today. You really find out who you are in the midst of those mishaps because that's when you have to employ those spontaneous problem-solving, attitudinal shifts in yourself. And some of the mishaps you talk about, um, they're really much bigger than mishaps, but I'll just kind of tie the theme of today through on that one. Um, To me, it sounds like many of them helped define you, helped find you in many respects, even though simultaneously those circumstances also moved you traumatically or a little by little away from what you feel to be your true self, didn't they also give you an opportunity to find out what you were made of and what you were all about?
1: Oh, no doubt about it. Absolutely, no doubt. I mean, I I tend to agree with the statement I heard many years ago that if all of us gathered in one room, we all threw our pro- problems on the floor, every one of us would race to get our own back. You know, no doubt about it. <laughs> but because I felt so uh, connected, and I think that was what was the dichotomy for me because I was a nature child, spent a lot of time outdoors, I felt so connected. I knew we were connected i knew we had this immense universal relationship with all that is you know i got that on one level but on the other level it was like well if that's the case and i'm supposed to be loved you know the child of the universe being loved why is this so hard and difficult so what i started doing is i would the things that would happen that would be painful i would go you know hello god where are you you know where are you and so what I was doing is I was going against the grain of life which is what so many people do when people say my life isn't working what they're saying really on a deeper level is I haven't learned how to work with life and when I got that I was really kind of doing it backwards if you will in that when it appeared that my creator wasn't there was when my creator was there the most in other words i had to move beyond just my story of where i was born who i was born to where i went to church you know how much money we had and didn't have and you know all those kind of things and i had to expand to go why am i in this experience and why am i in this community and why on some level Is this supposed to help define me? And that's when I started having one aha moment after another because I realized that I had had the best training possible so that as an adult I could do the work that I do in the world because I recognize me and my sacred story in so many other people.
0: That was beautifully said. So
1: we are talking with Simple Hayes,
0: And you simply must read the book, When Did You Die? Eight Steps to Stop Dying Every Day and Start Waking Up. So now in the waking up process, Temple, you feel that there is a difference between creating who you want to be and finding or discovering who you were truly meant to be. So again, creating ourselves versus discovering ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think that at any given time it could be actually, you know, both and. Um for me, I felt like so much of my life like something was missing. Be it a person, um a label, uh a a a newspaper article. <laughs> you know, sure. something. There's there's something out there and it it's missing in my life. And if I just had that that thing, whatever that is, then I would be fixed and I would be, you know, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and what I came to be aware of, uh, become aware of over time was it's it's likened to the story that I use in the book, as you know, about the jigsaw puzzle is that we we will put together this puzzle based upon the image on the box. We will argue um, to no level, uh, no stopping point that Every piece is in there because we trust the manufacturer, but we don't trust who manufactured our lives often, and I had to get that there was nothing missing that the only piece that had been missing was that i hadn't been totally living in my life, you know that I hadn't been totally present, um, and that I needed to allow that creation aspect of me uh, to deepen to become more aware and and suddenly then things started. Shifting for me, and offering me the opportunity to realize that the the biggest relationship that I didn't have was the one with myself.
0: Well, you know, with all fairness, though, Temple. I mean, you went through horrific, uh, traumatic events, abuse, and and disrespect is is far too mild of a term for it. And those are the times when people do disconnect from whom they are because they don't want to be too close to their emotional. Uh, fragile, harmed, hurt self, and quite frankly, when you're trapped in relationships that are abusive or evil, if we can use that word at all, and I'd love to have your take on that, we do need to move kind of away from ourselves in order to not feel, feel completely destroyed by that, and you talk about that in terms of soul retrieval, so with all due respect, being close to yourself when you're in the midst of trauma and pain is with, is almost narrowly impossible to do. So what are your thoughts about that?
1: Absolutely, and thank you for making that point. Um, it's been proven over and over again uh, th- with therapy that when we go through uh, traumatic experiences, either as children or as adults, um, we somewhat naturally anesthetize ourselves so we don't have to feel it. And in that, it's kind of like nobody's home. It's almost like we leave our bodies so we can cope because the pain is too immense and too difficult. And so as we um, move through life and continue walking through that pain, that sorrow and those kind of things, there comes a time where energetically we want to bring those elements of ourselves back so that we can be vibrant beings. Uh, In our society, we we're somewhat programmed, you know, that the more you go through, the less you're going to have left of yourself, you know, and by the time you're, I mean, we're bombarded with material uh, products, uh, pharmaceuticals, you know, you're 40, you need this pill, you know, you're 50, you're this, you're 60, you're that. And, and again, the people that are in a box that are robotic, well, I'm doing this because they said Um, they're duped a lot because (laughs) a lot of it isn't really true. I have more energy in my 50s than I ever had in my 30s because I'm very Mm, selective to where I put my energy, where I focus my energy, you know? And so I'm very um, alive and even though I do go through, even now, uh, challenging times because you don't live in the world as a human being and not be going through some type of challenging times. But if you have the believability in the the mentality that when you get to the other side of it you're going to have more energy we're we're designed to die physically with as much energy as we were born with um but most people deny or want to deny that we're ever going to have a physical death in the first place that they fail to realize that energetically a lot of us die before we ever physically die <laughs> We stop living on, on many different levels.
0: I think in your circumstance, you also talk about you were full of life and full of this kind of animated, almost recklessness of self-expression. And that the people around you were, uh, I don't know, potentially trying to put reins on you or curtail you or to oppress you, so to speak, maybe to make you the type of energy that they can relate to, I'm not sure. I mean, we are with people who can't quite stand our energy in one way or another. So would you like to address that for a moment?
1: Yeah. You know, what I'd like to say about that, it doesn't matter where you are or how successful you are or what you've accomplished, you're always going to meet that. <laughs> you know, you're always right. going to have someone. I mean, look at people that we we share in common uh, that are of what we call famous people, and we talk about them more so because all of us know who they are. But they're a living example of it doesn't really matter. People are still going to talk about you. My um, sixth-grade teacher told my parents I was never going to amount to anything because I talked too much. <laughs> and that's Amazing. how I've made my whole life, you know. Um and how my whole life has been about communicating and sharing and articulating information and those kind of things. Um, and and yet, what if I had listened to her? You know, a lot of children did listen to their teacher like they were law, like whatever they said was just the way, you know, it was going to be. and um, And people often live their lives according to what, Other people told them you can't sing. Oh, love, Um, you know, a marriage isn't really supposed to be happy. It's supposed to be one of compromise or or the one I used to hear a lot because I heard it from the people that was their story is, you know, marriage is a lot of work, you know. So, I mean, that's what I expected, you know, in a relationship. It was supposed to be hard and a lot of compromise and a lot of work. That's absolutely not true, (laughs) not for me. But I bought into that, you know, early on. So you make a great point, um, absolutely, that we will always have commentators in our lives. But we also have to realize, more often than not, people aren't commenting on us. They're commenting on themselves, and they're projecting who they are onto us.
0: Okay, so then, when we are in the midst of a situation where we're with someone who's oppressive, abusive, would like to make us their captive, perhaps, or, mm-hmm. or even someone who we perceive as evil, um, if, mm-hmm. let, let I'd love to explore so that individuals just listening to this can go, okay, I, I'm captive right now, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm imprisoned by this connection this relationship, and don't know what to do with it and they're feeling that urge inside that, that I shouldn't be here, there's something wrong, I'm dying day by day. What, what about those relationships? What about those situations people find themselves in?
1: Well, you know, from my own experience, I mean, what I found to be true is that I outgrew uh, a number of layers of relationship as I started developing a better relationship with myself. And some relationships, the only answer is to leave them. Because unless um, there's a co-creation or unless there's the willingness for two people or the boss and the employee or uh, or the family member to both be willing to show up to the forefront and work on it together, um, it's not going to change uh, because leopards don't change their spots and, and buildings don't move. And so it, when I have been before in a relationship that is abusive and, And that level of that verbal abuse and that critical part, I mean, for me, the first point that I've had to look at is what part within me at some point allowed this to be okay? And what part within me did this with me for so long? The critical, the you're not good enough, the abusive language I would say when I would look in the mirror at myself. And that had to shift first it had to change in me so that I would not then be comfortable uh, seated with anyone that would ever treat me that way or with that lack of respect. But because of often people's pain and their background and their parental things that they've experienced, they continue to carry that languaging on within themselves. And therefore then there's people in their lives that treat them the same. But people can't treat you that way because we wouldn't allow it, right? (laughs) We wouldn't allow it if we didn't entertain it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's key that often, you know, there's that saying that some people bless us by, by coming and some by going. And often we do have to allow certain relationships to leave our lives so that we can have, um, a different kind of friendship, or a different kind of connection, or a different kind of job. You know, when you talk about people that are in prison, there are people in prison every day just over a J-O-B. You know, they're in jobs they don't want to be in. Um, they're just barely getting by, and they have to, you know, ask permission to take a, you know, 15, extra 15 minutes off. I mean, it's, It's because we, as a culture, have allowed those things to be okay, don't you think? -hmm. Well, it's a stunning,
0: stunning thing that you're saying. It's like we define ourselves based on how people need to define us because we somehow serve a service for them. So Mm -hmm. it's just interesting to hear you talk about that. You know, you mentioned be aware of the influencers in one of your eight wonderful steps. Be aware of the influencers. In, In a sense, I find people take a lot of time trying to change their influencers or change their boss or change their spouse or change the other person that seems to have the key to their change. But in your book, I would suggest that we have to learn how to be our own influencers, that we stop Mm -hmm. looking at how we need to change them and put all that energy in waking ourselves up. So that's so true to the nature of your book, and you have these eight wonderful steps which one of the steps would you like to say right now that is all about making us primary influencers in our own existence?
1: Wow, that's a powerful question. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, I I would say that, you know, for me, that it was really being in touch with, you know, my shadows and my feelings um, because of, Not wanting to, you know, feel the pain or the discomfort for so long. I mean, I would do, I mean, I would put, you know, as much alcohol as I could into my mouth because it's just like, numb this. You know, who wants to feel that? But what I realized is that I was disassociating from a whole aspect of what I was created to be, and that is a feeling person. I mean, if we weren't supposed to have feelings, we would be, we would be a robot you know in the wisdom of our creator whatever you call that um we have feelings and so for me to be able to sit with um those feelings and to recognize uh those shadows of of my life then I'm able to understand uh as an influencer uh, where I am you know when I am when I am balanced uh or when I'm off um, I, I did a memorial service this morning for, for a woman that I w- just really admired so much, and I was in a lot of pain. Mm. And, and, oh. and you know, it was painful for me, even though I was the officiant, you know. Um, oh, but I'm oh, yeah. also a person, and so I was feeling these feelings, and their microphone wouldn't work, and they didn't have another one. And I found myself, you know, just kind of snippy, you know. at, at One of the oh. people there that worked at the funeral home, and, I, I just couldn't wait to go clean that up, <laughs> you know, because, um, and to tell the lady, you know, I just want to own my feelings, and I want to apologize for you, that, that at the end of the day, that would not be what I would consider an increase in my life, that I was irritable, because it wasn't about you, it wasn't about the microphone, it was just about that I was sad, because i would said goodbye to my friend, but but that requires us to be uh, awake, doesn't it? Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to say look at me or, you know, to impress you. I'm just saying, but to impress upon us that that's the level of when we're real. I think Wayne Dyer said that people would rather be right than kind. I'm, I'm sure you agree. I, I, I would just rather be kind. I don't need to be Right. <laughs> giving up that sense of my
0: self-esteem is based on my rightness as opposed to my kindness is mm-hmm. it, that's a beautiful statement. You know, to what degree, though, is is sadness and feeling sad liberating and allowing you to no longer wear the facades? And to what degree is feeling sad actually a freedom as opposed to something that, quote, needs to be medicated, um, alcohol, or pharmaceuticals included.
1: What mm-hmm. is sadness
0: a step toward sincerity, authenticity?
1: Well to me, you know, um sadness or or grief um allows us the opportunity, as you said at the very beginning of our conversation, it allows us to be vulnerable and to discover the depths of ourselves. Um Grief and sadness, feelings that we can sit with and be comfortable with, they transcend us to a different place. It's like um, one time someone said to me, I love your laughter. You have a deep belly laugh. I'd love to be able to laugh like you. And I said, well, I don't know if you'd really mean that or not, because you have to know how many tears got me there. (laughs) Well, (laughs) said. But see, often, you know, we're so trained, um, if you will, to just make it go away. You know, I prefer yes. these feelings mm-hmm. over here better. I like joy. I like having fun. I like playing. I like dancing. But those feelings over there, mm, nah, not so much. No, nope, not too comfortable with those. And because of that, we don't get, we don't transcend to another level. Um, one of those being fear. Um, I was doing a uh, a blessing for um, someone very close to me in in my community here, and her little girl. Nine years old wanted to show me her room, and she showed me her little nightstand, and she had these. She called them like magic rocks, and I said, "Well, what are those?" And she said, "Oh, I have these nightmares all the night, and I'm so afraid." And I said, "Really? And 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 what are they?" And she said, "And I see things, and they're they're scary." And I said, "Well, what do you you know? What do you love doing?" And what do you enjoy? And she says, oh, I love painting and I love drawing. And I said, have you ever thought about that maybe some of those images you're seeing at night, they come to you when you close your eyes so that the next day you would be able to draw them? Mm. And she said, oh, I never thought of that. Mm. And her mom said she's never been afraid again but see oh, I would have I would have gotten you know you're 9 years old be a be a big girl what are you afraid of there's nothing to be afraid of we're right in the other room you know why would you possibly be afraid you know that kind of thing to make it go away let's just fix this and get on to the next thing but when we can be in that space we allow people the freedom to really discover the truth for themselves
0: well. Oh, that is a beautiful example of embracing what's going on inside and not having to run away from it. And Absolutely. it also, yeah, it also is a kind of a step over to the world of shamanism, where you know, shamans would engage with the monsters of other alternate realities and uh, negotiate a path back to fuller and more complete living. And I'm wondering if you can integrate into all that you're saying now that's very much on a level of consciousness with a shamanic level of consciousness, which I think is a very different alternate reality kind of approach which has so much to offer in terms of our understandings of being ourselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, and, and, and you referred to the brilliance of uh, of the shamans. I mean, we've apologized to a lot of cultures and to, you know, the animal kingdom as well. But that's an area that I think we could do better and truly apologize to a lot of the um, Aborigines and the brilliant people that were on this planet um, for so many years in their practices and they just really treated their own humanity as their doorway uh to the God self or to the divine and that connection with nature. And everything meant something. You know, from the bird that flew over your head, uh, to the bugs that you attracted into or that you have into your your home or to whatever. I mean there there wasn't anything that wasn't connected. And so they recognize when they work from the premise of wholeness and infinity that everything was related, so they wouldn't take one or two things and go, well, that's not related. <laughs> oh, no, that doesn't fit. Uh, everything had, it, had its part and had its piece and had its essence, and it was all considered sacred, and they knew the tools to use, such as dance and chanting and drumming and, and those kind of things to ground themselves you know, in their humanity as they would walk through this dimension. But then they would go into this other world reality, and that's been, it just changed my life because I had been through a lot of group therapy and worked with a lot of therapists on myself and then had been a counselor in my own capacities for many years. But nothing made time stand still for me like the ability in my life to sit down beside somebody and close my eyes and see windows of their lives that I didn't know this person. Let me make that point. I didn't know them. I didn't know their story, but I would see images of their life, and I would see where they had been abused. I would see where they had been on drugs. I would see where they had been in car accidents, where they had then become disjointed, if if you will, energetically from themselves by using this form of, of a deeper underworld reality. And it was baffling to me because it was always accurate, because it was images. And all I would do was very calmly, without persuasiveness, I would say, and I see this image, does that mean anything to you? And the person would look at me and turn three colors and go, oh, my gosh, that was the last conversation I had with my grandmother. Or um, one time I kept seeing little hands with a little rock in it. Little hands, little rock. And I went, kept seeing that. Does that mean anything to you? The woman just started, like, bawling, just wailing, um, deep, 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 deep pain. She said, my father gave me that stone when I was a little girl. And I made a vow to God, and I haven't kept it. And here she was, you know, 50-something years old, (laughs) recalling recalling this essence and when it's brought back into our awareness it brings us energy it brings us a deeper level of of hope and a, a sense of vibrancy within our being often it's associated with some kind of ailment or some kind of discord or disease and I'm not saying always because I'm, I'm sure you say on your show, we're not talking one size fits all here, you know. Uh-huh. But in my experience with the people that I've worked with and then get feedback from them, I have seen through the years their lives change more often than not for the better. And they uh-huh. may not even credit, oh, well, remember that day, you know, laying on the floor or having that. It doesn't matter. The point is they're, they have disconnected with a part of themselves that they are now able to have back into their lives again. And I know that because I know that I went through that myself. I had someone do that for me, you know, many years ago, and therefore those elements of me were able to come back. So I love, I love shamanism. Thank you for Mm -hmm. highlighting that. It's very meaningful Mm -hmm. and um, spot on. It's It's a totally
0: different consciousness to think about, you know, retrieving bits and pieces of the soul back into you. But I think your illustration of the little girl being so afraid of those monsters. That was a part of herself that she could embrace because she's an artistic individual. She can express it. And that those monsters that exist within the shamanic consciousness may actually be a a path or avenue to being able to come back to moments that have meaning that you can repair bring back to yourself, but it's a very different um, a way of looking at the world, and you do a great job in your book, When Did You Die? Eight Steps to Stop Dying Every Day and Start Waking Up, bringing the shamanism into the everyday consciousness without losing people too much into the aboriginal sort of experience of it all and the anthropologic questioning about it, you make it a very doable Part of self exploration, I greatly appreciated that about your book. Can, oh,
1: can I thank ask you. you
0: related to this? What, what what is your my consciousness of society when I listen, when I read Wall Street Journal, or I go on the internet, or you know, when I when I grab a hold of international news and we hear about ISIS, or we hear about Ukraine, or we hear about um, the Al Qaeda, or so forth and so on is the people who live oppressed underneath those regimes or those situations don't necessarily have the freedom to sit there and close your eyes and do a shamanic meditation or have the freedom to feel sad and, and have that regroup their themselves into their whole entire being because their external circumstances or the oppressiveness of their situation is so intense. So in terms of talking about human nature and the way we integrate internationally now with people who live in very different circumstances than we do in the United States, how do you view your book in terms of the way they die and also in terms of the way we internationally link into what's going on for them? I know this is far reaching beyond your book, but I believe we live and now in our, our international consciousness much more so.
1: I need to kind of come oh, to yeah. that. Oh, absolutely. And I think the more aware and awake you become, the more sensitive that you feel towards your humanity. I mean, I, I know myself that I've gone through phases that I've felt really a deep sadness and not really be able to uh, really identify why and then the next day go get the paper and realize that something massive has happened in Japan or somewhere else. I do feel that we all have that level of capacity to experience uh, life on a planet. There's no doubt about it, and there's no way that anyone um, like me could look at what people do to children and animals and stuff like that and go, well, it's divine order. It's very painful. That's one level, no doubt about it. But I've come to realize that as a difference maker, the only way I can stay in a space of being a lighthouse instead of always being in the rocky boat is I must come from the place of being for what I know to be true and put the energy there. Because if I start joining in the energy of what I'm shown through the media, the other level of that that is unfortunate is, is we only hear about all the horrific things, you know, that according to Google Analytics gets the most uh, clicks and the most readers. We're, we don't get a balance of our true globe, uh The broader picture of a lot of other things are like good that you're doing or or good that we're doing here in the heart of Florida you know we don't We don't get a lot of that because um it's a very imbalanced situation, but for me um and how it would apply to me in everyday life i I hold in my meditation every day. Uh, the globe of our planet, hugging it deep and close to my heart and to my solar plexus and just um, praying and knowing that there will come this awakening and then do the things I can uh, as they come to me to make a difference, you know, uh, whatever contribution I can.
0: Beautifully said. Now, when you hold it close to your heart, it it makes me kind of spiral into another statement you say in one of your chapters, which is it's a common truth no matter what any ever tells you that we all want to be loved, valued, and respected. So across the international planes, and here we are with ourselves trying to feel and and express and and share that love with others, um, to have the reception of love for ourselves and from others can you address that kind of dynamic of wanting to love, wanting to be loved, and what that what that stirs inside? What's the power behind that? What's the? How do we access that? I know that's a long, confusing question, but your uh, your idea of love is powerful, but it's used so many times. And I want us, uh, the listeners, to grasp the depths of love that you're talking about.
1: And, and you know, uh, to the listeners, you have to start where you are. And and one way that you identify that is you can look uh, on the outside of your life and see the appearance of things that aren't loving. Um, it could be the restrictions in your workplace. It could be you don't feel free to speak your truth in your home place. You know, whatever whatever that is, more often than not, the lack of love exists there somewhere. And in that lack of love, requires us to have more love in because in our lives we get what we bring and so what I know to be true is the statement united we stand and divided we are merely a distraction and I think when we talk about wouldn't it be great if we had more oneness in the world I think that's a beautiful statement to reach towards but In the meantime, I think it's imperative that I'm working with the element of being one with myself, of not being a divided house, if you will, (laughs) but to be grounded, to be congruent, uh, to really mean what I say, to walk the talk, uh, and to recognize that we teach people how to treat us. We teach people how we can be treated. And when you love yourself, at the depth of your being. And a lot of people, even fundamental Christians, miss that when it says, hmm. Love your neighbor as yourself.
0: Hmm.
1: You got to love yourself <laughs> because when you become yep. more unconditional with you, you have more of the freedom and the capacity to be more conditional, forgiving, and unconditional with other people. It's very interesting how this whole mystery of life, we always come back to ourselves. Not in an egotistical way, but in a way of coming to understand how really connected we are. And that is humanity's greatest mishap, is that the deepest treasure we've had all along in being who we are.
0: How powerful are we?
1: What's our power? How? What's the extent of it? What's the
0: definition? What's the? When we walk into our dreams, and you one of your chapters. Your dreams are waiting on you to come true. How powerful are we to
1: love to affect change to reach our dreams? And I think we're we're powerful beyond our imagination. I think we're we're powerful in that we are we are able to be. Great healers on this planet, great revealers, great manifestors. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say there would be a limit to infinity of what we're capable of with our with our minds, with our hearts, with our ability to love. Um, to me, it's just so exciting because I find it just gets better and better and better. But what you said in the beginning was so true. You know, the controlled parts, I'm getting in my car, I'm driving down the road, I'm going to have dinner with these people, I choose to be with, all of those things. That's one level of a controlled reality. But when we have those unexpected or the computer won't work or, you know, something else happens or, the traffic's holding us up. We can't get to where we're supposed to. That's when we get to see our true selves, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes. That okay. level,
1: that level yes. of mishap of the unexpected. But there's such mystery in that.
0: So like the shamans, we take each moment as a sign, each moment as an opportunity, each monster as something to greet, integrate, maybe fight, but to live fully with. We are talking with Temple Hayes and about to close our conversation with her, but your conversation doesn't need to stop because her book reads like a conversation with her. Uh, when did you die? Eight Steps to Stop Dying and Every Day and Start Waking Up with Temple Hayes. And I don't think you're going to start waking up. I think you're going to continue to wake up to yourself, always reaching beyond the limit of today and the limit of yourself of today as you've defined it or others have defined it to be. You moved in being more energized and more impassioned. And so Temple Hayes, because we can't end the conversation or dialogue with you, we have to continue it by reading your your book, by reading our own lives, what is your final call to action or your final plea on this particular show? Because uh, I know people will scope you out elsewise.
1: I think more importantly than anything is to realize that you're not a mishap, you know, that there is a, a divine uh, wisdom to your life plan and that you truly do, I mean, your life, how we see it is how we see ourselves. And to be willing to take the time to do a, you know, as kids we used to do a, a timeout. we go sit in the corner and take a timeout. And I think a lot of us as adults, We owe it to ourselves to do that. Take a time out, assess our Hmm. lives, and realize that sometimes if we could just stop and sit between the no longer and the not yet, we may find that we would not only make some different choices, but that we would truly start to recognize how valued and appreciated we are by being ourselves. Hmm. We are Hmm. not ever going to find anyone a job, a boss, a person, a lover, a husband, a wife, a partner, to do anything for us that we're unwilling to do for ourselves. When we hmm. do that, then what we're desiring outside of ourselves will come true.
0: Hmm. Powerful equation, isn't it? Well, folks, she Temple Hayes discusses fears and trauma and abuses. She discusses being adventurous and exploratory, to not live in your limits, and gives you some very practical ways about going about this day so that your next day is more alive and more impassioned. Highly recommend you pick up Temple Hayes' book, When Did You Die? Eight Steps to Stop Dying Every Day and Start Waking Up. And Temple Hayes, tell us a bit about how people can contact you, get a hold of your book, so they're not left in a quandary.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Uh, They can go to my website, Temple Hayes, that's H A Y E S dot com, and the link is right there for Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And they can also find out about my uh, daily blogs as well as the radio show. And if they sign up, I'll send them a free introductory copy to the book. Oh,
0: perfect. Wonderful. And if they happen to be in Florida, Or is there a a ministry that they can join and enjoy hearing you speak more?
1: Absolutely, unitycampus.org. They can find it right on the website. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for doing the work you're doing.
0: Oh, thank you very much. It's always a joy. It's all about invigorating my life, other people's lives, because there's just so much to grasp in this world. Thank you, Temple, for joining us. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us, and continue the dialogue with us on Facebook or with Temple on her website. This is a a dialogue about people who want to be fully and completely themselves without definitions by limits, but definitions by what's next. Take care. Have a fantastic day as you explore whatever's awaiting you, mishap or otherwise. Cheers. Bye, Temple.
1: Bye-bye.